Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis about this the book of acts is an incredible book that we're going to talk about tonight this is the acts of the apostles so this is the, this is why it's important we talk about the book of acts and we go through it is because this is what the disciples did after jesus left them with the holy spirit so this is the question we have to ask ourselves what do we do after we encounter jesus what do we do after we experience him what do we do after we walk with him it's, it has to be more than just a sunday morning one-time encounter where we prayed a prayer and we filled out a card But the Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives, wants to move through our lives, wants to empower us to live the supernatural life. So it's not just, I walk with Jesus on Sunday. This is not just, I go to church and I live the same. There is power when we have relationship with the Son of God. There's life change that comes when we're in relationship with the Son of God. And this is exactly what the book of Acts is. It's what the disciples did after Jesus died resurrected and begin to teach them about the kingdom there's change that happens when you have relationship now religion there's no change there's no change the only thing that changes when you're in religion is your sunday morning you go from sleeping in to now you sit for an hour and a half at, in a church building but nothing else changes when you're in relationship everything changes what i watch what i listen to how i talk how i act how i treat my wife how i treat my kids the things that i think about the things that i listen to the, my thought life changes my personality changes the bible says that the old passes away the old you dies like literally when you get saved it's your funeral for the old you and you're now resurrected in christ you're a new creature and now your christian journey starts so salvation is not the end of the journey it's the beginning of the journey it's not like our goal as evangelists which is sad let's just get them saved so we just want to get people saved over and over and over and you come to the altar after the play every time you're at the same altar call same altar call you get saved you felt that you filled out the card a thousand times but there's no action in your life there's no lifestyle in your life and this is why the book of acts takes us in now that you've walked with jesus now that you've encountered jesus now that jesus said give me everything you've given him everything what do we do after that It's not just a Sunday morning. So the book of Acts is after everything Jesus had taught them, he told them, he gave them. Now this is what they're going to do. Now that we have the, the teachings, now that we have the power, now that we have the authority, we are going to turn the world upside down because God has turned our world upside down. Friend, when God turns your world upside down, now you go... And you turn other people's world upside down. I remember getting saved January 12, 2011, and God turned my world upside down. God changed everything in my life. Every part of me, every fiber of my being was completely different after I experienced God. And this is what God wants to do. And so we say, well, not all everyone's going to have that encounter. But my question is, why not? Why can't everybody encounter God? Why can't everybody radically change? Why doesn't the gospel still have power in America? I believe that the gospel still has power. Come on, type one in the chat. I believe the power of God is alive and well today. I believe the Holy Spirit is moving even as I speak, even as I preach the power of God is moving that someone that's dead I hear the Holy Spirit saying is coming back to life tonight if you feel dead spiritually God is resurrecting you if your prayer life has died God is resurrecting you tonight if your worship life has died God is resurrecting you tonight if you've lost desire or appetite for the word of God the Holy Spirit is going to resuscitate you is going to resurrect you is going to bring you new life bring you new passion bring you new dreams bring you new vision come on i want all that god has for me i want it for my 
my kids. I want it for my wife. I want it for my personal life. I need the resurrection power of God. I have to do something for God in these last days. I can't live my life just going from Sunday to Sunday. I want to walk out the acts that Jesus walked out. And so the acts of the apostles is the book of acts, not acts like cutting down a tree, but acts like doing something. This is an incredible book. It's one of the most supernatural books in the Bible. Interesting thing. And it's written by a doctor named Luke. So I love this, how the most supernatural book in the Bible is written by a doctor, which means you can work in a logical field and still be supernatural. I know in the church we think, like, if you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, if you're medical, if you're a therapist, if you're anything that's not supernatural, you're just not, you know, you're not as holy as everybody else. But I want to tell you that a doctor wrote the most supernatural book in the Bible. So when we walk in the supernatural, we don't need to throw our brains away. When we walk in the spirit, we don't need to dumb ourselves down and just be these encounter all the time people. You can be you can be logical, you can be smart, you can be educated, you can have a degree, you can graduate college, and you can still walk in the supernatural power of God. So if you found yourself like just a little bit too educated, you think God can't use me because I'm just too book smart or brain smart, God absolutely can use you just like he used Luke to write the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. These were both written anonymously. Luke doesn't identify himself as the writer in either book. In fact, none of the four Gospels identify themselves by name, but church tradition as far back as the early part of the second century has always agreed that Luke was the writer of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Luke is only mentioned three times in the New Testament, Colossians 4.14, 2 Timothy 4.11, and Philemon um, you're going to see two, four, you're going to see the mention of Luke. And so he's again, only three times that they actually mention his name, but we, we discover things from Luke through different verses like Colossians four, that he's a well-educated Greek living in Asia minor, Asia, Asia minor, and Luke is a Gentile. So think about this. This is interesting as well. Luke is the only Gentile to write, to be a writer of the new Testament. So this is a powerful thing because if you know Gentiles, they're considered outcasts. They were considered unredeemable. They were considered unqualified for God to use. And Luke is here. A Gentile has somewhere a radical encounter with God is now going to write the book of Acts. He's also a careful historian. He ties his events to specific dates and different things. He's also a doctor, according to Colossians 4.14. The Bible says he was a medical physician. So we know he's also a doctor and we know his medical training shows us, he uses medical terms showing us he was also in the medical field. And so we're gonna see that Luke is not only in the medical field, not only a doctor, but Luke is gonna use verbiage like I, we, and us, okay? So when he's writing the book of Acts, Luke is saying I, we, us, which implies he's not using they, them, like it's distant, but implies that he was right there, part of the action in the book of Acts. Luke was not detached from what God was doing. He was not far off. He was not a bystander. He's not just a historian. He's not just an educated Greek. He's not just a doctor. He's actually a part of the action. He was right there in the book of Acts when God was moving. Now he was not an eyewitness to everything that he describes in the gospels, obviously, but and or most of what he even wrote in the book of Acts and he never actually saw Jesus the opening paragraph of the gospel of Luke tells us where Luke got his information okay if Luke never really saw Jesus the question is how did you write the gospel of Luke and he tells us in Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 he says many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us they use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples having carefully investigated everything from the beginning i've also decided this is luke chapter 1 telling us 
how he got his information. He says this, I've also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. So Luke is telling us, I'm getting my information from eyewitness reports, from circulating reports, from investigative work that I've done. Again, very educated, very smart guy. And so Luke is not pulling out information from a hat. He's not just getting information that he doesn't know anything about. Not only is he seeing what's going on in the book of Acts, he's writing the action, but he's getting stories. He's collecting data. He's collecting history from people so he can write this down when he heard about Jesus from the other apostles and others who told him what they had seen and heard so as people are telling stories of Jesus Luke is writing these things down he's gonna transcribe them into the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts Luke's two books were probably written 30 years they say after Jesus rose from the dead between 80 58 and 80 63 this is when they believe both of the books were written again the books are written 30 years. Yes, my middle name is Luke. Thank you. I forgot to say that. The book of Luke and the Gospels are written 30 years minimum after Jesus has, has rose from the dead. So these were not right when Jesus left. They start writing books. They wrote them down about, they waited about 30 years. Some scholars say they didn't write them down immediately because, and I'm taking you guys to Bible college tonight, obviously, is because they thought he was coming right back. When Jesus said, I'm coming back, the disciples didn't know how long it would be. So they were like, well, why would we write all these books if he's going to come right back? So they waited, waited, waited. And then by the time that Luke authors the books, John authors a book, Matthew authors a book, Mark authors a book, they all begin to write at a similar time. So there was some type of urgency around the same time for them to start writing these books. I believe the Holy Spirit, or I know the Holy Spirit, was urging them and nudging them to begin to write these books for whatever reason um, he wanted them to write the book. So Mark starts writing his gospel. John starts writing his gospel. Um, uh, Matthew's writing his gospel. And some reasons why scholars say that they might have felt the need to all of a sudden start writing stuff down was Christians were under heavy attack. Um, Stephen and James had both been martyred after they before they even wrote the books. Paul was in prison awaiting trial. Many of those that originally witnessed Jesus or saw the works that Jesus did were getting old and were going to die. And so if people are now getting old, they're about to die. This is a time where we need to start writing about what did Jesus do, who Jesus was for future generations. And I want to say this too. I know there's a lot of you, listen, I preach the Bible. Obviously, I just preached every verse in Revelation. Our channel, we have scripture. Some of our uh, our live streams, we give hundreds of verses. But I want to just challenge you with this. The New Testament disciples, the Apostle Paul, these guys that were doing signs and wonders and miracles, walking with the Holy Spirit, didn't have the New Testament. So I know there's a lot of religious people that are like, that's not in the New Testament. That, it's like nothing, God can't do anything if it's not written down exactly in scripture, even though scripture says not everything's written in scripture. John said that not everything's in the Bible or it would take up the whole world if everything Jesus did was in there. So I want you just to think about how much did the disciples do without the Bible and how much more should we be doing with the Bible? So don't think that they were just writing the Bible right away. They didn't have the New Testament. They only had the Old Testament. And so they didn't have things to go off of. So we have to take God out of this religious box we put him where we've worshiped the Holy Scriptures instead of worship the Holy Spirit. And now we tell the Holy Spirit, you can't move because it has to be exactly written down on paper when you got to understand there's a difference between the written word of God and the spoken word of God. Does God speak today? I know the religious YouTubers, I know the biggest YouTubers on the platform, they don't believe it. They, they get all weird when you talk about God speaking. But my question is, 
How could you be in relationship with someone that doesn't speak? They say, well, I just, I have relationship through the Bible. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So do I. That's the written word. But the spoken word of God, the words that give life, but the Bible says we don't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So I came to tell somebody that doesn't believe this, that God is still speaking. And I believe that God wants to speak to you today. I believe God wants to speak to you right now. I wouldn't survive without the voice of God. Now I'm not saying God says, okay, Isaiah, get out of bed put on this parachute, put on this shirt, tells me every single detail of my life. But there is an open relationship where me and God are speaking, where we're open with each other. We talk to each other and God talks back. And so let's make God talking normal again. Come on, type that in the chat. Let's make God speaking normal again in the church and not make it some abnormal thing where it's, I never hear the voice of God. Now, if a pastor preaches that, Hey, listen, okay, if you don't ever hear the voice of God, that's fine. But don't tell me I shouldn't hear the voice of God. Just because you don't hear it doesn't mean I can't hear it. So resist, push back on that spirit of religion. Push back on that religious mindset that's engulfed the church, that's made God this distant relic, this idol, and understand that God is a God that is speaking. He has eyes, he sees, he has ears and hears, he has a mouth and speaks. He's not like all these other idols, all these other gods. Our God speaks. So now I want to say this, when God speaks, you need to write it down. This is what Luke realized as a doctor. Luke's like, I'm going to begin to write these things down. If you don't write it down, you're going to forget. You should have every one of you watchers, 2,500 of you, praise the Lord, share the broadcast. Every one of you should have either a notebook, a journal, or your notepads app, which is what I use. I have thousands of notes on my phone. When I'm reading my Bible, God is speaking to me. I'm typing out. I'm writing it out. Whenever I'm through the day, if God gives me an idea or speaks to me a revelation, I write it down. If I have a dream, I write it down. If someone gives me a prophetic word, I write it out my notes so that I can go back and remind myself of the promises of God. Some of you are tired and weary right now. And you say, God, when are you going to do this? And God, when are you going to fulfill this promise? But the Bible says that we need to remind God of his promises. And so God wants you to bring it back up. And how are you going to remind God of something you've forgotten about? So we need to start writing down the vision. We need to start writing down what has God done in your life? If God does something significant in your life, write it down. If God marks you, write it down. If you get a word, if you're listening to me tonight and you're like, I'm 20 minutes into the broadcast and God spoke to me and write it down. Write it down so that you can go back and look at what God is saying. Now, how did the early church, because this is what people, atheists, just say, well, how do they remember all the facts about Jesus? How did the early church keep alive the facts concerning Jesus and the beginning of the church, which is the book of Acts, before the New Testament was written? Luke tells us, okay, in Luke 1, 2, eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered the facts to us. So Luke is getting his information eyewitnesses and ministers of the word are bringing facts to Luke and giving him factual evidence. And this is one reason why people have a hard time believing the Bible, because how could a guy write it? A guy that wasn't even there, a guy that didn't even see Jesus. Here's what you have to realize about that culture that we've lost in American culture and in culture at large is first century Christians told stories. They told stories. They retold stories. People had seen what Jesus had done, what they had heard Jesus. They had felt Jesus. They had physically touched Jesus. They gave disciples specific stories and they were in charge of passing down the stories. So stories, write this down, were so important. And I really believe this. You know, I was talking, talking to John Kilpatrick. We had lunch recently at an event and he was telling me stories of how he got saved. Stories from 50 years ago, stories of revival at Brownsville, stories of traveling. And we were all at the table at Fresh Start in tears because of the stories of revival. And I realized we st somewhere down the line, and I, get, I don't know why I get emotional talking about this, 
We've stopped telling stories. Somewhere down the line, you stop telling your kids the goodness of God. You stop telling your family the goodness of God. You stop reminding yourself. You stop sharing with your friends at work the stories of what God has done. And I want to make in this community stories alive again. I want to bring stories back to life, what God has done. Tell the people. Tell your kids. Tell your family. As my kids are getting older, I long to tell them stories. I want them as they start understanding God and understanding the things of God to tell them what God has done in my life, what God has done in their mother's life, what God has done in my mom's life, my dad's life, my brother's life, my sister's life, my aunts and uncles, telling them the stories of the time I've seen cancer healed. I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen bones move. I've seen demons cast out. I've seen all these things happen. We got to tell the stories to our children. We cannot let them just get lost in their phone, lost in their iPad and lose the story. So stories were important in scripture. We need to tell stories of our, to our kids of what God has done. Judges chapter two, verses 10 says, when all that generation had gathered to their fathers, another generation, a generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work, work which he had done for Israel. So the Bible says, look it, there's an entire generation in Judges they didn't know the Lord. They didn't know God. And why are they a godless generation? Which is like the generation we're living in now. Why were they godless? Because they didn't hear the stories. The parents stopped telling stories. They stopped telling about what God had done. They stopped talking about the goodness of God. Remember that time that the Lord delivered me. Remember January. Remember February of the 13th. Remember on March of the 15th. Remember in May when God delivered, when God healed. Remember that day we were out there and God changed. And remember that time we had no money and no food and we couldn't pay the bills and someone right at church walked up to us, gave us a thousand dollars. Remember when we had this thing and you just go on, you tell the stories of the goodness of God and the stories, they spark faith. One of these days, I'm going to get on here and do a broadcast where I only tell stories of revival. I only tell testimonies because the stories change people. The stories are how we are able to preach to that next generation so that we never have a generation that doesn't know the Lord their God. We need to tell revival stories because it's easy to forget. I can't even remember what I ate yesterday, let alone what happened a year ago. So it's easy to forget. That's why God told the children of Israel, you need to build monuments. You need to write these things down. You need to build statues so that you can remember what I've done for you. Come on, somebody tonight is going to remember the goodness of God. Remember the kindness of God. Remember the patience of God. Remember the power of God. Not only did the stories help them, but the Holy Spirit helped them in the process of writing down the scripture. John 16, 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So Jesus says through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to directly communicate with you. Because remember, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. So the way that Jesus communicates with us and to the disciples was through the Holy Spirit. So a couple of things that Acts, the book of Acts is going to show us is it shows us Jesus in action as the head of the church. Acts shows us how people can get to know Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It shows us the records and the origins of the church. The book of Acts is the church's blueprint. If you want to know how your church is supposed to function, how is the church supposed to be? It's the book of Acts. And it also shows us, and this is my favorite part of the book of Acts, that the supernatural life is the normal Christian life. Okay. Acts is going to show us God's Kingdom advancing on the earth, miracles, preaching, demons being cast out, the advancement of God's kingdom on the earth. Now, if you remove the book of Acts, you've lost the power of God. If we remove the book of Acts, and this is what preachers and big YouTubers do. They take the book of Acts and they say, okay, this was only for a period 
a, a cessation period, a time, a, a zone, a period of time where God moved like this. And this what these all, all, all the top Christian YouTubers this is what they preach. The book of Acts is a time where there was apostles, there was prophets, there was teachers, there was people with the gifts of the Spirit. Now that the book of Acts is gone, the Bible's been written, that, that which is perfect, they say has come, which is, by the way, that which is perfect is Jesus, not the Bible. So they say, now that we have the Bible, we don't need the book of Acts anymore. We don't need the supernatural. So it's for them, it's just a distant memory. It's just a history book and they don't read it. That's not how the book of Acts, the book of Acts is as relevant, come on, help me preach Holy Spirit, is as relevant today as it's ever been before. So don't listen to all these preachers that believe, oh, the gifts aren't for today and the miraculous, the apostles have passed away, all that. No, the book of Acts is for today. Let's start in chapter one. If you have your Bible, open to Acts chapter one, because we're going verse by verse. I don't know, guys, whether we'll do this every week. I don't know if we'll trade off. We'll do sometimes how we're going to do it, but we're going to work through. We're going to get through some of this because I feel the Lord's telling us to do this. So let's go to Acts chapter one, verses one through two. And this is what the first verse is. The former account I made, O Theophilus, this is Luke writing, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles from which from whom he had chosen. So now both Luke's books are addressed to an official in the Roman government that calls that Luke calls Theophilus. Okay. So Theophilus, we don't know a lot about him. We know that he's a Roman government official and Luke writes to him in the gospel of Luke. He addresses Theophilus and in the book of Acts, he addresses Theophilus. Now, as scholars say Theophilus was either a committed follower or he was seriously seeking God about to become a um, about to become a follower. And the book of Luke and the book of Acts are written in purest Greek, the most pure Greek of the New Testament. Remember, because Luke is extremely educated, is the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. Some believe, again, this is not in the Bible. This is just some most scholars would believe this, that Luke was either a slave or a personal physician or both to Theophilus who was sick. And so through his skills in medical, he was able to restore Theophilus and Theophilus in return, because Luke made him better, gave Luke his freedom. So it would not be abnormal for him to be a slave, for a physician or a doctor to be a personal slave of a Roman government official like Theophilus. And this is what the popular thing would be. Again, we don't know exactly what their relationship was other than that they had a close relationship. Um, Luke says after he was taken up through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments. So Jesus is taken up, he ascends, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then now Jesus is going to give commandments to the church through the Holy Spirit. Now the problem today is we've taken out the Holy Spirit and so we don't know what Jesus wants the church to do. So we big, big we build bigger buildings, better programs, better strategies, better flyers, better this, better that. And we try to see how we could evangelize and change the world. And we remove the power of God. We remove the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the one that gives out commandments. Jesus speaks to the church through the Holy Spirit. And this is the order of the church. So Jesus did not stop moving. He did not stop speaking. He did not stop functioning after he left the earth. He's now moving through the Holy Spirit who is a person, not just a force. The Holy Spirit was the guide. The Holy Spirit, come on, my preaching to anybody, was the roadmap. The Holy Spirit was alive and functioning in the, in the early church. And if you're going to a church that's not led by the Holy Spirit, it's not a church, okay? It's a it's just it's just a whitewashed tomb. It's just a morgue. If you're going to a place where it is not led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit giving commands, speaking to the leadership, speaking to the pastor, and then the leaders of the church, the fivefold ministry, they go on and they carry out the, the commands of the Holy Spirit. So that's the job of the Holy Spirit, is Jesus speaks through the Holy Spirit and commands the church. But we've left him out of the church, we've kicked the Holy Spirit out of the building, we don't welcome him, we don't celebrate him, we don't invite him, we don't 
don't allow him to move. In fact, we give the Holy Spirit about five minutes at the altar to do his little thing. And then we tell him, okay, your five minutes is up. Everybody go home. And then we go through another hour and a half service where there's no Holy Spirit. But we need the move of the Holy Spirit. We need the forgotten God of the church, the Holy Spirit, to move in the church of today. We need to stop with this, just praise Jesus, just praise the Father, and leave the Holy Spirit out because now it's become the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures rather than the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit back. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says, To him he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So here's Jesus is what Luke is saying. 40 days after he died, he resurrected for 40 days. Jesus is appearing to the disciples with infallible proofs. Okay. Teaching them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He's not teaching them how to have a bigger church, bigger building, better strategy, better networking, raising money, which is interesting because they don't talk about getting bigger in Acts. They don't talk about money in the book of Acts. None of this stuff. They're worried about the kingdom of God. Okay. This is 80, 30, four of Jesus' followers. Jesus is now dead. They're huddled in a room in Jerusalem hiding. And it's the third day of secret mourning. They're not allowed to mourn Jesus. These four disciples are not allowed to mourn Jesus because it's against the law to grieve openly a condemned criminal. So they're hiding away. And all of a sudden they, they believe Jesus has died. This guy that they've given three years of their life to has been dead. They watch the Bible says Jesus die. Suddenly as they're hiding in that room, the door flings open and a woman, think about this, comes in panting, talking about a body raising, talking about an angel, a stone being rolled away, a missing corpse and a risen Christ. And her announcing that, saying Jesus has risen, the, the tomb has rolled away, the corpse is missing, because she went to embalm the body and found an empty grave and found an angel going like, Jesus is not here, he's risen from the grave. She burst in this room and these three men are with this look in their eyes, this would be the start to the most amazing 40 days of their life, where Jesus now is gonna go between heaven and earth, who knows where, and he's going to speak with them things for 40 days after his death and resurrection of the kingdom of God. He ate with them. He hung out with them. He let them, the Bible says, touch his scars. And he taught them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. Imagine how they clung to his words. Imagine this. The man that was once dead. The guy that we gave everything for. That we, we watched him die on the cross. No one has ever resurrected before like this. The guy's dead for three days and he's resurrected from the dead. He comes back to life with holes still in his hand, pierced in his feet. And here he is teaching us. Here he is walking with us. Here he is eating with us. And he's teaching the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus had mentioned the kingdom of God more than 80 times in the gospels. And now he's raised from the dead and Jesus goes, guess what we're gonna learn about? We're gonna keep going into the teaching of the kingdom of God. We're not just gonna tell you about salvation. We're not just gonna bring you into a sinner's prayer over and over and just do the church religious thing. I'm gonna teach you about the kingdom, the lifestyle of God, submitting to the will of God, okay? This is about living your life out for God, submitting everything, saying, I'm gonna live for your kingdom. I'm gonna live as a citizen of the kingdom of God where there is one king on the throne that God is the king and his what he says goes I don't get to choose how I live anymore I don't get to choose how I act anymore I don't get to choose the laws well I'm allowed to I'm not I'm now living under the laws of a king in a kingdom with the power of the Holy Spirit 
And now we're going to not only teach you about the kingdom for 40 days, and this is what we've been doing for the last two years on this broadcast. Every week we're teaching you about the kingdom. We don't just get on here and teach you about repentance over and over. We're teaching you about the kingdom, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, preaching the gospel. These are all things that are part of the kingdom. Luke 17, 20. Now, when he asked the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered. Okay, so the Pharisees are asking him, when's the kingdom of God coming? Here's Jesus' answer to the Pharisees in Luke 17, 20. The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, this is Jesus, Luke 17, 20. Here's what he says. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. So listen, if you're religious and you're just sitting around, let me just see, let me test this thing. Let me watch this man of God. Is he really? Jesus goes, you're waiting for an observation of the kingdom. The kingdom's location is on the inside of you. It's living in you. The kingdom centers in one major issue in the Lord's prayer. In, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, pray this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom is the reign or the rule of God on the earth and everything in the kingdom focuses on doing the will of God. Kingdom citizens are those that acknowledge that the will of God in their lives, the will of God in their marriage, the will of God in their children's life is the most impression, most precious and important thing that's ever existed. So if you are a kingdom citizen, not a civilian, not a carnal Christian, not a just, oh, I'm a Christian, I go to church, a kingdom citizen, the will of God in your life is the highest calling. The will of God is the most important thing. So before my career, before my this, before my family, what is the will of God? I'm going to walk out the will of God in my life. This is for the kingdom citizen, the most important thing in the kingdom citizen's life. Acts chapter one, verses four through five. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. So he's with them teaching. Here's what he tells them. Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he's sitting in, in verses four through five with the disciples saying, listen, guys, you need to wait in Jerusalem because there's a promise of the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We don't know how many, but not many. You're going to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So here's your instructions before you go expand the kingdom of God. Here's number one, step one to the blueprint of the church. Wait for the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom of God throughout the earth. The Holy Spirit was the power source of the ministry of Jesus, and it's the power source of the early disciples. Write this down. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. You can't. It is impossible. Let me say this. It is impossible for you to fulfill the full will of God for your life without the Holy Spirit. You have to have the Holy Spirit. If Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, why wouldn't you need the Holy Spirit? It wasn't even until the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus that he went out and started preaching and performing miracles. He understood, I need the Holy Spirit, and you need to understand that you need the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing all, doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So God anoints him and Jesus says, God wants to anoint you and pour out. So don't go running off thinking, I'm going to do this ministry. I'm going to lead this. I'm going to lead that when you haven't received the Holy Spirit. 
Excuse me. When you haven't waited on the Holy Spirit. So the promise of the Holy Spirit is the promise for us today. Just like Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to the disciples, today Jesus is promising us the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is requiring every believer for for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. Now, when the early Christians spoke about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, these are the things that they had in their mind when they spoke about being baptized. The Holy Spirit cleanses believers' sin away. That's Acts 15, 8. The Holy Spirit gradually changes believers to be like Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians 3, 18. The Holy Spirit fills believers with his presence, giving them power to do God's will, immersing them in the thinking, the nature, the values, and the character of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. The Holy Spirit is what does all these things. So you say, I want to be more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes you more like Jesus. I want to do miracles. The Holy Spirit empowers you to do miracles. I want my thought life to be cleansed. The Holy Spirit cleanses and washes our thought life. This is all by the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus said two main things in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Number one, he said, don't leave without it. Okay? Do not leave without the Holy Spirit. I want you to type in the chat. Don't leave this broadcast without, there's 3,000 of you watching without the Holy Spirit, because obviously at the end, we're going to pray the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, tonight is your night. If you need to get re-baptized or you need to get filled again, which I'm going to show you tonight in scripture, then do not leave without it. So don't click off the broadcast. Don't leave without the Holy Spirit. Number two, he goes, don't attempt anything for God until you have the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Father's promise. So guys, he goes, don't go out trying to lay hands on the sick. Don't go out trying to cast out demons. Don't go out trying to preach the gospel of boldness. Don't go out trying to raise the dead. Don't go out thinking that you're this mighty man of God until you get the promise of the Holy Spirit. What if God doesn't want to give it to me? It's a promise. And the Bible says he's not a man that he should lie. And if evil parents give good gifts, evil parents, the Bible says, then evil give good gifts. How much more? Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit strong tonight. How much more does the Holy Spirit want to pour out? How much more does the Father want to give you? The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. Now, don't you don't need to write all these verses down because I'm going to give you a ton of them. You can go back later, rewatch the video, replay this part, and write them down and go look for them. But I want to I want to tell you all the things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Luke 11:13, the Holy Spirit is given by God to people that ask. These are all things Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. John 3, 5, the Holy Spirit is able to give a person a new birth. That's a new start with God. John 7, 37, the Holy Spirit will satisfy spiritual thirst and is given to anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus. John 14, 16, the Holy Spirit is the Christian's helper, the comforter, the guide, the attorney. It's the Holy Spirit. John 14, 18, the Holy Spirit is Jesus living in believers, giving life and revealing himself. John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit reminds us of Jesus's teachings. John 15, 26, the Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus to tell and tells people about him. John 16, 8, the Holy Spirit enlightens the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. John 16, 12, the Holy Spirit guides people to the truth. The Holy Spirit always agrees with Jesus and the Holy Spirit reveals sometimes things that haven't even happened yet. John 16, 14, the Holy Spirit's primary job. Okay, write this one down. Primary job is to glorify Jesus and to make him known. John, um, okay, so that's what all the things Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Hebrews 9, 14, the Holy Spirit is eternal, which means the Holy Spirit has no beginning, no ending, and is not limited to time. Luke 1, 35, the Holy Spirit works are acts of God. 
Psalms 139.7, the Holy Spirit is present everywhere. 1 Corinthians 2.10-11, the Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18, the Holy Spirit is Lord. Acts chapter 5, verse 3, to lie to the Holy Spirit is to lie to God. I think it's safe to say that the Holy Spirit is 100% God. The Holy Spirit is God's ambassador, God's spirit on the earth. So if you think about, I know a lot of times we preach, you know, Jesus is living in me. Biblically, the Holy Spirit's living in you. Jesus, Holy Spirit, God the Father are all one. So, of course, Jesus is living in you. But the person of Jesus, of the Godhead, is actually, the Bible says, seated at the right hand of the Father, forever making intercession for you. So, God the Father on the throne, Jesus seated at the right hand, the Holy Spirit, God's ambassador, God's spirit in us, on the earth, advancing the kingdom of God. Jesus said, it's better that I go and be with the Father so that I can send the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus goes, if I don't go, the Holy Spirit's not going to come. So this is very, very important to understand that Jesus said it's better that I'm gone and the Holy Spirit's here to represent, to empower, and to be with you, that you have access to the Holy Spirit on a 24-hour basis. Listen to me very closely tonight. I know I'm preaching very practical. You don't need to be in a special building to experience the Holy Ghost. You don't need to be in a special place. You don't need a special anointed man of God that's religious garbage to lay hands on you so you could receive. I got refilled the Holy Ghost. Nobody laid hands on me and the Holy Spirit filled me tonight. You can get filled with the Holy Spirit like I did. I've gotten filled many times with no one laying hands on me. You could get filled tonight by faith. Acts chapter 1. Let's go to verses 6 through 7. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times of seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Okay. The disciples were basically saying in verse 6 through 7, is now the time to rebuild Israel, to make us this great empire, to show these pagans what's up? Remember, the disciples wanted political power. They thought Jesus was a political redeemer. That's why they sang Hosanna. And then they crucified him three a couple days later because they wanted a political redeemer. Jesus said, I'm not here to redeem you politically. I'm here to redeem you spiritually. So now we have the disciples. Jesus is teaching. He's already resurrected. They're like, all right, Lord. Now's the time to get them. Now let's get this Roman Empire. Let's bring down Rome. Let's show these Greeks what's up. And Jesus goes, listen, it's not for you to know the seasons or the time. Jesus' response is this. It's none of your business, okay? Give up all your worldly desires and your dreams of being this big empire and having political power because we're not here. We're not here to build a natural kingdom. We're here to build a spiritual kingdom. And we have to be careful as pastors and leaders that we're not thinking our goal is to build these massive kingdoms, these massive buildings, these massive sanctuaries, these massive organizations. I personally, I'm not, I'm not against people that do. I feel the Lord told me you're never going to become this huge organization with 50 employees where you're at the top and you have all these employees and all these buildings and all I don't want to become that I want to be a help build the spiritual kingdom of God in people where's the kingdom at it's inside of people and I want to help build the kingdom of God in people that's why Jesus said when a demon gets cast out cast out it's by the finger of God then you know the kingdom of Satan has been removed. The kingdom of God has been established. Why? Because the kingdom's in people, the same place demons are at. Demons are in people. So when you remove the demon, you can establish the kingdom of God in that person. That's what I want to do. I want to build God's kingdom, not my kingdom, okay? I don't need to have a private jet. I don't need to have a million buildings. I don't need to have 50 people on staff. I want to build the kingdom of God. I've given my life for this. That's the goal. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Watch what happens, okay? Here's Jesus' response. They go, Jesus, verse seven, 6 and 7, are we going to have political power? Are we going to have authority? And Jesus says this. Here's his response. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Come on, all you Pentecostals know this. But you shall receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, the original word power in verse eight is dunamis, which is dynamite. It's where we get the word dynamite from. And it means authority and it means energy. It's supernatural power. And Jesus goes, look, guys, it's not going to be political power that you get. You're not going to get position and be a leader of a synagogue. He says, you're going to get supernatural power. This is dynamite. This is explosive. People are like, you're up there. You have all this energy. You're yelling. You're shouting dynamite. Y'all, I got dynamite in me. How, how let me preach Holy Spirit. How could you be, again, I'm not trying to throw shade at anybody, but how could you have dynamite in you? The Holy Spirit is dynamite, the power and it dynamite exploding in you. And you're just calm and you're just passionless and you're just stoic i believe that the power the dynamite i know it's not everyone's flavor that i yell and i shout and i'm excited but it's dynamite going off in me when i preach the word of god it's dynamite going off in me when i'm preaching this when the holy spirit is moving it's the dynamite of god it's the power of god and you get something when the holy spirit comes upon you now you don't just get a newcomer's mug when you're at the church. Like, I know we give everyone a mug, a cup. Like, thank you for being at our church. Here's a mug with our church label on it. That's not what you get when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you get power. Super. Guys, come on. Does anybody else want this? Supernatural power. Some of you are like Marvel, DC. You're obsessed with all these uh, superheroes. And you're like, you know, every superhero. And you're like, I would love to have power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you you can lay hands on the sick you can cast out devils you can preach with boldness you get power i want power i need more power i need more of the holy spirit listen i don't need to have spider-man's powers or super i don't even know i'm so bad with the superheroes but whatever powers the superheroes have i need the power of the holy spirit like just get that in your head you get supernatural power when the holy spirit comes upon you tonight and then here's what happens the power is not for you to sit on the couch, not for you to go to church on Sunday. The power, or I'm sorry, just go to, because I go to church on Sunday, but just go to church on Sunday. There's more to it. The power is going to make you a witness unto me. And now the witness in the original language means martyr. It basically means this, someone who is willing to give up their life for the cause of Christ. Here's what Jesus is saying. You are going to get so radical. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. So radical, so passionate. The anointing is going to come on your life. The power is so strong. That when somebody's putting a gun to your head, you don't even think twice about it. You're like, pull the trigger. I, I'm, I'm so passionate about God. The power of God so alive in me that I don't even care about my life. I'm a martyr. I'm a witness. I'm willing to lay my life down for the cause of Christ. When they hang the disciple upside down on the cross and he goes, what do you, what, you can't kill me. I'm already dead. What could the world do to a dead man? I've already died. People are like, aren't you offended when they make videos about you? I'm already dead. How could you offend me? I'm a dead man. How could you, are you mad at them? How could I get mad? I'm dead. Friend, I don't get mad at people. I'm not trying to be like ultra religious and super spiritual and I'm better than all of you. I literally don't get mad at people. When I watch these videos on YouTube that have four views where they're like, Isaiah Solivar is a false prophet because he believes in casting out devils. 
You think I'm mad? You think I can care what they say about me? I'm dead. Paul said if I was looking to serve men, if I was looking to please the religious people, I would never be a bondservant of Christ, a slave of God. Listen, friend, if you're offended all the time, you can't handle this. You can't handle the Holy Ghost because the power of the Holy Ghost makes you unoffendable. He makes you, un you can't persecute me. You can't kill me. Put a gun to my head. I don't, I don't have to even think about it because I already died. I already died. I've died with Christ. And so this is what happened. Now, before the Holy Ghost came on me, no chance you're going to kill me. I would never die for God before I got the Holy Ghost. I was raised in church. I wasn't going to take a bullet for God, but the Holy Spirit, come on, type ones in the chat if you feel this in your spirit tonight. The Holy Spirit has made me so passionate about this. Oh yeah, 100% worth dying for. Right now, right now, someone breaks in. We're going to shoot you. Pull the trigger. No question, no crying, no tears. Sorry, see you on the other side because... I, I have no, I have nothing. I have nothing in this life. I'm a pilgrim. I'm just passing through. I'm living in a hotel. There's no, there's nothing here for me. This world is temporary. It's, it's a vapor. It's vanishing. This is the mindset I want you to get. This is the personality a disciple has where it just doesn't matter anymore. You're going to go from, he goes, you're going to go from being this weak, timid, shy person to now bold as a lion, preaching my gospel, being a witness. And I want you to notice what he says here. You're not going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a witness. A lawyer argues the facts of a case. That's the job of a lawyer. They argue facts. I love lawyers. My sister's a lawyer. Praise the Lord. I love them. Okay. That's what a lawyer does. A witness is only allowed to testify what they've seen and heard. So Jesus said, if, you, if, you're, if you're religious, you're a lawyer. You argue, oh, that's not what God said. The Bible said, you're just arguing the facts, 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 facts. You have no relationship. No, that's a lawyer. That's what religious people do. You're not a lawyer. You're a witness. What is a witness? They take the stand. They say, I don't really know much about the case. I just know. I was blind and now I see. I don't know all the theology about Christians having demons and have deliverance and this and miracles and I can't give you every verse. I, can't, I didn't go through Bible college for nine years. Like th this is a witness. I just know I've watched God deliver. I just know I've watched God heal. Now I've gone through four years of Bible college, y'all. For all of you on YouTube, they're like, this guy doesn't know the Bible. But I, w I want to say that's not a prerequisite to be able to do these things. You're going to be a witness once the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to argue all the time. You're going to testify. We are not called to argue. We're called to testify. He says, first Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So point is this, it's going to spread. Okay, this gospel, this power, this anointing, this fire is not made to stay in a building. It's, it's about advancing. It's about outreach. And one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about social media is not because I like seeing myself on camera. I don't watch my videos. I don't like my voice. I don't like watching myself or seeing myself on camera. I nitpick everything, okay? I can't even watch myself go, oh, the light wasn't right there. This wasn't right there. I should have said this. I don't care about none of that. I don't want to see myself. I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be known. I'm passionate about social media because I want to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth because I want to fulfill what Jesus said to do in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 you're going to spread my gospel when the Holy Spirit comes upon you you're going to spread it to the ends of the earth last week in the last seven days we have reached and all glory to God all praise to God we've reached three million people through YouTube through Facebook through and that's not including podcast downloads Spotify you iTunes none of that just video views three million and that's glory to God what's the point of that Advancing the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. 
why you guys are partnering, why you guys are part, why you guys are supporting our family, why you guys are supporting this ministry, so we can reach the ends of the earth. Maybe you can't go, maybe you can't preach on the live stream, maybe you don't have a bunch of viewers, but you're enabling us to preach so that the gospel, the message of the kingdom of God could be sent to the very corners of the earth. This is what Jesus called us to do. Don't wait. You need to get, you need to go. Now that you got the Holy Ghost, wait. Now that you got it, you go and you preach. Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Now when he had spoken these things, I I know I'm going longer because I just got a lot to say. Now when he had spoken these things, this is verses 9 through 11. While they watch, okay, he's speaking. As he's speaking, you just got done telling him this. While they watched, he was taken up with a cloud and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, two men stood by them in all white apparel, who also said, who said also, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up to heaven? The same Jesus, the same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like the same manner as you saw him go into heaven. So this is what the angels are telling the disciples. There is a man coming back. A literal man on a cloud who's going to come back, which we just did our revelation, the whole book. We taught the entire book. You already know there's no games. When Jesus comes back, no games. He's really coming back. And this is what he's telling him. Don't be shocked because Jesus is getting ready to come back. Now, where did Jesus go? 33 years earlier, Jesus descended from the heavenly realm as a human baby so he could die for our sins. Mission accomplished. It's time now for him to return back to the heavenly realm, back to the spiritual world, the heavenly dimension, and to reassume his place at the right hand of God, which is the most powerful place in existence. Is that the right hand of God? So Jesus comes down, says, my my work here is done. It's finished. I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you the power of God. I'm going to go right back up to where I belong. Seven important things about the ascension of Jesus. Jesus actually ascending off the earth into heaven. The ascension fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. The ascension fulfilled Jesus' prophecy um, with the crucifixion and the resurrection. The The ascension certifies Jesus is Lord, Christ, King, and the head of the church. Okay, and I have lots of verses for these, but there's just too many verses here. The ascension puts Christ permanently in the presence of God where now he's interceding for us. Romans 8, 34, Hebrews 7, 25, and Hebrews 9, 24. The ascension opens a way for Jesus to send the Holy Spirit, John 16, 7, Acts 2, 33. The ascension makes it possible for Jesus to be with us at all times, Matthew 18, 20, Matthew 28, 20, Ephesians 4, 10. Now Jesus is able to be with us all the time because he's ascended and he sent the Holy Spirit. The ascension enables Jesus to now prepare a place for us to be with him in heaven, John 14, 2. Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's many mansions in my father's house, If it would, many rooms in my father's house. If it wouldn't be, I wouldn't have said it. And now Jesus is able to now directly control and be in charge of the affairs and movements of the church and his followers from the highest level of authority in the universe. That's the right hand of God. That's where Jesus is working from, the right hand of God doing things. Okay, Acts 1, uh, 12 through 13. And when they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Okay, now listen to what it says here. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, okay? This is where they're now going to that upper room. They're going to that place, 
and now they've just witnessed the ascension of Jesus. They've got taught by it for 40 days. Now they're going to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that room was able to hold about 120 people. They had a promise from Acts chapter 1 verse 5 that you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And they didn't know exactly what it would be. They just knew that we need to wait because the Holy Spirit's going to come upon us. And our only job description, here's your job description, wait. Wait for the promise. Why? Because 40 days he taught. We need to wait 10 more days to fulfill Pentecost, which is 50 days, okay? First Corinthians tells us Jesus appeared to 500, but we only see 120 in the upper room. Now, we know Jesus said many are called for your chosen for whatever reason that other 380 people that Jesus appeared to didn't make it into the upper room. I don't know if they weren't like invited. There wasn't room for them. I know some people say they just didn't want to be there. They were, you know, what if you're late to church and you miss your upper room moment? I, I don't know. I preached it a bunch of ways. I just know the other 380 were not there. There was 120 there. The 11 original disciples were in the upper room. Judas was not there. He had already taken his life. The other disciples were there. Um, Acts 1.14 says, These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the now the religious people y'all are just gonna get angry right here so i'm just gonna warn you if you're religious if you're one of those is like women can't talk in church just this is where you're gonna get mad because acts chapter 1 verse 14 says they all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman mary and the mother of jesus and with his brothers okay with the women mary and the mother of jesus and with his brothers so some of these women that the Bible says, we don't know all the women, just as with women and Mary, the mother, some of these had been part of Jesus's traveling ministry, um, Luke 23, 55. Some were wealthy and provided financial support, Luke chapter eight. If you guys didn't know, there was women that were traveling with Jesus, helping him, providing for him, financially supporting him. So for all you that are like, women can't, women can't, you just need to get over yourself. Um, other places where they're named is Joanna, Susanna, Salome, and a bunch of different Marys. There's Mary Magdalene. There's Mary, the mother of James. There's Jesus's Aunt Mary, and there's Mary, Jesus's mother. Um, Y'all, Mary was a popular name. Everybody was named Mary. So there's like four or five Marys. But I also love that, that Luke writes there that Jesus's mother was there. He's like, look, guys, I want you to know that Jesus's mother, not only did she give birth, watch what I'm going to say here, not only did she give birth to the Son of God, she also helped birth the early church. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, was very involved in Jesus's ministry. He was a big part of it. Now, here's another interesting fact. Jesus's brothers were also in the upper room. James was there. Joseph was there. Simon was there. Judas was there. His brothers were there. Now, somewhere they had an encounter with God because they had been unwilling to follow him and they even thought he was crazy. In John 7, 5, it says, even his own brothers did not believe in him and they did not believe him. So they didn't believe the words of Jesus, but they changed. They're now, now they go from not believing him, kind of like, who do you think you are? Probably jealous of him to now they're all the brothers, the mother are all there waiting in the upper room. And I could tell you because my brother works for our ministry full time. My brother does ministry with me. My mom, my dad, they're all a part of the ministry. They're all, they're in the chat right now. It's an amazing feeling to have your parents with you, to have your siblings with you, to have stepmoms, stepdads, aunts, uncles, mother-in-laws, cousins, wherever you have, whatever you're from, having them with you in the ministry is invaluable. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I love how Luke goes, oh, by the way, Jesus's brothers were there. Jesus's mother was there. It's like, they're all there waiting in the upper room and they all, they have one thing in common. Here's what they all have in common is a relationship with Jesus. The relationship they all had with the literal man, Guys, stop thinking of Jesus as just this guy in heaven. Literal man Jesus, this was what glued them together. They all knew him. They all walked with him. They all ate with him. And they this glued them together. Um, Acts 1 verses 15 through 20. 
And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples altogether. The number of names was 120, which we talked about and said, men and brethren, the scripture has to be, had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke be, before by the mouth of David concerning Judas. So now he's going to talk about, we're going to go into it right here, Judas, who became the guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and fail, falling headlong. He burst open in the middle of all of his entrails, gushed out, his guts gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. This field is called in their own language, a Kaldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let this dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Okay, that's the prophecy about Judas, the place Judas died, the place he purchased. They're saying, let it be a desolate place. Let no one live there and let someone else take Judas's office. Okay. What is Peter saying? Why is Peter in the middle of waiting for the Holy Spirit in the upper room? Peter gets up and starts saying, all right, guys, let me talk to you. Here's what Peter's saying. Let me tell you guys why Judas is not here. Because the talk of the upper room is, where's Judas? Why is Judas not here? What happened to Judas? So Peter says, let me talk to you about what happened to Judas. Judas is missing because of what he did. Now, the Bible gives us two accounts of Judas's tragic end. Acts 1, 18 through 19, which we just heard here. Matthew 27, 3 through 10. Judas overcame with guilt, goes to the temple, tries to return the money because he sold Jesus out for silver. He tries to return the money. The priest refused the money. He throws the silver into the temple, runs out and hangs himself. And the Bible says his body fell and burst open and his guts, I know it's graphic, and his guts spilled out onto the ground. The bribe money was used to buy the piece of land where Judas died. It's now considered cursed. Six weeks later, the locals are calling it murder meadow or the field of blood. So this place, they use the money, the bribe money to buy the land, which Judas killed himself on. And that became a cursed place called the field of blood. And that was the, the fate of Judas. And Peter's addressing Judas is gone. The prophecy says we got to replace him. Acts 1, 21 through 26. We're almost done with Acts chapter one. And we're going to touch on two. And then we're going to pray for you guys. Okay, so don't leave until you get prayer. Awesome. 3,000 of you. Thanks for sharing, everybody. Acts 1, 21 through 26, okay? Therefore, of these men who accompanied us all at the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So one of you that witnessed his resurrection got to become a, the, 12th, the 12th apostle, 12th disciple. And they proposed two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, you, Lord, know all the hearts of all. Show which of these two you've chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he, might go, that he might go down to his own place. And they cast their lots and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Okay. So four steps were involved in picking the new apostle that was going to replace Judas. Step one, instruction. Okay. Here's the qualifications. You got to believe in the resurrection. You got to know Jesus and you got to have you know, been there with them. You got to have experienced him. You got to have seen him in person and you got to work well with the rest of the team. Okay. You got to be a part of us. One of us. Step two, we're going to nominate you. There's going to be two nominated jo um, Joseph nicknamed Barsabas, Bar which is son of Sabbath and, or justice and then Matthias. Okay. Step three, we're going to pray. And this is what they said in Acts 124. God, reveal your choice. You know all of us. You know all of our hearts. Reveal who you want to choose. And then step four, they cast lots. And this is the same as drawing straw where we'd say, oh, what do you want? Flip a coin. And we flip a coin. That's what they would do 
They would basically write their names on small stones, put the stones in a bowl, shake the bowl, and then whatever stone rolled out of the bowl, that was casting lots. That's who they would choose. And so that's how they were able to pick Matthias as the 12th apostle, okay? So let's go to chapter wrap-up. That's the end of chapter one. And then we're going to just jump barely into chapter two. And then we're going to start praying for you guys. Um, chapter one wrap-up. Acts is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke, talking about how the work of Jesus continued through his followers. For 40 days, Jesus appeared proving who he was, proving that he was God, teaching about the Holy Spirit, teaching about the kingdom of God, talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Again, guys, I didn't explain this well, but the reason why he did 40 days, then 10 days, it was Pentecost, 50 days. 50 days, let me just explain it quick because I, I, I forgot to explain it. 50 days after the children of Israel came out of Egypt, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Those 50 days. That celebrate the barley fest was Pentecost, okay? 50 days after, they got delivered, Pentecost. They got the Ten Commandments. Jesus, for 40 days after dying and, and resurrecting, for 40 days taught the disciples about the kingdom. 40 days, 10 days they weighed in the upper room, which is 50 days, and then 50 days, which is on the day of Pentecost, which I'll, I, I'm explaining now, but I was going to explain it next. On the day of Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit came, and God was not coming to bring, you know, write on stone tablets. He was coming to write on the hearts of people. That's why it's called Pentecost, okay? Jesus ascends into heaven, recap, the disciples spend the next 10 days waiting for the Holy Spirit, and then they gather, they agree who's going to replace Judas. Now we're in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Again, I just talked about Pe Pentecost. It was the annual Jewish barley harvest festival, and it was celebrating the Ten Commandments 50 days after I just got in talking about. It. And so they're gathered on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus had, had resurrected, teaching the kingdom of God. They're now there on the day of Pentecost. They're all together in one place in one accord, not only in one place, but they're in one heart. They're in one mind. They're in unity in the spirit and unity in mind. Unity is a key ingredient in revival. Acts 2, 2 through 3. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. So here's 120, they're praying, and all of a sudden a tornado-like sound, like a jet engine taking off, a mighty rushing wind rushes in the house, and all of a sudden tongues as a fire, not tongues of fire, but tongues as a fire, begins to rest upon each person and every single person got a flame. I preached a message years ago called there's a flame with your name that every person, come on right now, everyone watching the 3000 of you, there's a flame tonight with your name that God wants to rest upon your head. There's a fire for you, not just the preacher, not just the evangelist, but every single person has a flame with their name and those flames begin to rest upon them. Um, the fire of God, the, the fire speaks of consecration. It speaks of holiness. It speaks of passion. Remember that God would lead them through the wilderness, through a, a pillar of fire. It was going to lead them through the darkest times. Acts 2 through 4 says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Nobody gets left out. I know a lot of you, oh, it's just for some believers, the Holy Spirit. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, every single one of them gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Paul in Ephesians 5.18 compares being filled with the Holy Spirit with being intoxicated. He says, don't be drunk on wine, which ruins your life. Someone needs, let me say that one more time. Don't be drunk on wine, which ruins your life. That's Ephesians 5.18, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So when someone is drunk, we say that they're under the influence. And Paul is saying, don't be under the influence of wine, 
Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. When you're filled, you come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You come under the power of the Holy Spirit. When I got filled with the Holy Spirit, the night I got saved, I now became going from being under demonic influences, demonic spirits, demonic powers, being drunk on alcohol and four loco and all the stuff I was drinking. Now I'm influenced, I'm intoxicated, I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I believe tonight someone's gonna come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We don't get drunk on wine. We don't drink alcohol. We get filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 4 uh, through 11. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying, Look, are not all these men who speak Galileans? And who is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. They're naming all these places. They're from all over. They're speaking our language. We hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. So these men are here for Pentecost as a celebration. They're from all these different places, all these different nations, all these different tongues, all tribes, and they're here, and they're all of a sudden converging on Jerusalem for Pentecost. Thousands of travelers speaking in every language. They hear the sound. They run to the the upper room where the sound's coming, and all of a sudden, disciples are spilling out of the upper room speaking in these languages that they shouldn't know. It's like, these are Galileans. How are they speaking in our language? And here's the here's the kicker, here's the beauty. Not only are they speaking in 15 different languages, but they're speaking the works of God. They're speaking what God has done in these people's languages. Talk about a sign and a wonder where you're now able to preach to people you would never be able to preach to you before. The Holy Spirit gives you boldness to preach in ways you'd never preach. Come on. The Holy Spirit gives you boldness to do things you'd never done before. And then verse 12, 13 says, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? And then others mock saying, oh, they're just full on new wine. They're just drunk. So you have one group genuinely curious saying, what does this mean? And the other group saying, they're just drunk. They're drinking new wine. But here's the irony. The people accusing them of being drunk, drinking new wine, didn't realize they were actually drinking new wine. It wasn't physical wine. It was spiritual wine. Because in Mark 2, Jesus spoke of new wine that could not be contained by the old wineskin when this new wine was poured out. And they were drinking of the new wine. They just were not drunk physically. They were actually drunk spiritually. And this is what happens when you're drunk on the Holy Spirit. There's a boldness. Come on. I used to drink almost every day for, I don't know, two about a year and a half to almost two years. And I'll tell you, being drunk, drinking, by the way, I haven't touched alcohol since January 12th when the Lord delivered me and saved me. I, I have no desire, no thing. So tonight, if you need to get delivered from being alcoholic or drinking, God can deliver you tonight. But I wanna tell you, when you're drunk, you get bold. When you're drunk, you'll go walk up to random people, random strangers, and just start talking to them. There's a boldness when you're drunk. There's a passion when you're drunk. Have you ever been drunk and you start talking about something and you're passionate about the dumbest stuff? There's a tenacity about it. And this is what the Bible's trying to say. The same way that you're drunk when you drink and you're bold and passionate, that's how what happens when you're in the Holy Spirit. You'll do things you've never done before. I would never get on a stage before 2,000 people and preach the gospel. I would never pray for hours and hours. I would never do any of the stuff I do now. But now I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I'm drunk on the Holy Spirit and I do things I would never do otherwise. Verses 14 through 15. But Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said, Men of Judea and all those who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. 
These are men are not drunk as you suppose for these are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. Here's Peter, who was a coward, who was embarrassed, who was denying Jesus is now standing up saying, guys, it's 9 a.m. Nobody's drinking. They're not drunk. I'm going to tell you what's going on. And in verses 16 through 21, Peter is going to tell us what is going on. Acts 2, 16 through 21. He says, but this is what this is what's going on. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, that your young men shall see visions, that your old men shall dream dreams. And on my maidservants and on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth beneath blood and fire vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned to darkness the moon into blood before the coming great and awesome day of the lord and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the lord shall be saved in essence peter is saying that this is the fulfillment of joel's prophecy he's saying everybody the last days are here the holy spirit is being poured out miracles are going to begin expect the outpouring of the holy spirit to be on everybody expect ordinary men and women to prophesy come on can we get an amen in the chat expect Expect visions, expect dreams, expect men and women to preach, expect the supernatural, expect to get excited about God. Salvation is now not only to the Jew, but it is now offered to everybody. So expect these awesome things, expect the power and the presence of God. And now Peter is going to stand up and Peter is going to preach the gospel. Peter, the one that was afraid, that was timid, that was shy, is now going to stand up and is now going to begin to preach the gospel. And the prince of God is going to begin to move and the people are going to begin to cry out. What must we do to be saved? And we'll go into that next week, maybe next week, or the next time we do a book of Acts teaching. Let us pray tonight because I believe tonight that God wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit. This is not just, I hope you enjoyed it. Type one if you enjoyed chapter one and almost the end of chapter two, book of Acts. Much different than teaching verse by verse through the book of Revelation because there's a lot of storytelling and stuff, but I hope you guys enjoyed it tonight as we go through that. I really do like the verse by verse solid teachings. I don't want to just do this every week though for months because I want to change it up as well, but we're going to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Tonight is your night to be filled. Tonight is your night to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. God wants to fill you. God wants to empower you. And God wants to anoint you tonight with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so we're not just going to preach it. We're not just going to talk about it. We're going to be filled tonight. So here's what you need to do to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to ask. That's it. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. You need to ask the Father. He said, all you got to do is ask. I'm a good Father. I will fill those. I will fill with the Holy Spirit those that ask me for the Holy Spirit. So right now, Father, we come boldly before you. And Lord, every single one of us ask for the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask you that you would fill us, our innermost being, baptize us in the Holy Spirit and power. Lord, you said to wait. And so tonight we wait on you, Lord. Tonight we believe that you want to pour out your spirit without measure. And so Lord, I ask that every single person in this broadcast that's watching me right now, that you would pour your Holy Spirit on them. Lord, pour your fire on them, God. Baptize them in the Holy Spirit and fire. Holy Ghost, do what only you can do. I pray, Lord, every person be filled, even with the evidence of speaking in tongues, Lord, fill them. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Empower them, Lord, right now. 
سامبا روبو شامباندیا رابا سامد روبو سامباکی امدار ماسم دربکه. Father, I pray, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit. I come, holy, I come humbly before you. Lord, I repent of any sin in my life, known or unknown. And Lord, I ask you that you would fill me again, fill me afresh, re-baptize me. Come on, ask him right now. Those listening on Spotify, those listening on Apple um, Podcasts, those on live right now, ask the Holy Spirit. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me, Father. Fill me with your power. If you've already been filled, ask for another filling. Ask for a refilling. Lord, we need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be refilled with power. So Lord, tonight, refill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. God, do what only you can do. Tonight, in Jesus' name, Father, fill us right now. Come on, if you have your heavenly language, begin to pray in the Spirit. Begin to pray in the Spirit. Lord, fill us right now. Lord, remove any unbelief out of us. You don't have to strive. You don't have to work. You don't have to, why am I not getting it? Just relax. Wait on the Lord. Get in a mode of receiving. Put your hands out in front of you like you're going to receive a Christmas present. Just ask the Holy Spirit to come. Ask the Holy Spirit to come. We preached about it. It's alive today. Holy Spirit, fill us. We know you want to do this, Lord, so we don't strive. We just ask you to fill us in Jesus' name. Come on, just drink of the Holy Spirit. Just receive the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, baptize us with power. Every person in the chat, Lord, over Kimberly, Lord, over Jennifer, Ryan, David, Desmond, Alicia, Jessica. Right now, Lord, fill them. Serenity, Destiny, Gordelia. Come on, Brittany. Tammy, Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Kelly, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Nikki, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Holy Ghost, have your way. Holy Ghost, have your way. Stephanie, Daniel, come on, Daniel Wagner, Noah Berger, receive the Holy Spirit. Father, fill us to overflow. Fill us to overflow. These are not tongues for an interpretation. These are my prayer tongues. So you're like, why is he not interpreting? Because it's not an interpretation tongue. It's a prayer tongue. It's 1 Corinthians 14. I'm just edifying myself when I pray this. Come on, just begin to pray in the spirit. Fill us, Lord, right now. Father, we pray right now. We believe it. You said boldly. We're coming boldly, God. We're asking you, fill us. Every person, God, bring healing right now. Holy Spirit, bring healing right now over every person watching. Bring healing right now. We command every demon spirit to leave these people in Jesus' name. Every demon spirit, leave in Jesus' name. Satan, you have no power. You will not stop the Holy Spirit. These demon spirits cannot stop the Holy Ghost. Come out, Satan. You're lying. You're lying to these people. Come out in Jesus' name. We bind every unclean spirit. We bind every unclean power. And we tell them to come out right now in Jesus' name. Right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, enter our rooms. Enter our cars. Enter our houses. Holy Spirit, fill us up. Fill us up. Fill us up right now. Thank you, Lord. Satan, you must go. Every satanic spirit, every unclean power, up and out in Jesus' name. Come out in Jesus' name. You have no power. The Lord rebukes you, Satan. Leave these people in Jesus' mighty name. Leave these people in Jesus' mighty name. You have to go. You have no power. You have no authority. Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that you would deliver your people. We pray healing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, heal your people in Jesus' name. Lord, heal your people. Every sickness, every disease, I pray healing right now in Jesus' name. Healing right now in Jesus' name. Every spirit of infirmity, go. Father, release your healing power. 
Release your healing power in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, magnify, glorify, and exalt Jesus. Lord, we don't glorify ourselves. We glorify Jesus. We bring glory and honor to him. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would glorify Jesus. You would magnify Jesus right now. Be healed. Be healed. Be healed in Jesus' mighty name. Be healed in Jesus' mighty name. Be healed in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.